My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Post-Fed Pod. Man, last episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier, season finale, probably a series finale. And now we've got no new Marvel content until June. Eric, I have a feeling our listeners might have us on Suicide Watch. That's what they might think, because we have this huge gap now in Marvel content. Yeah, it just it just goes to show how fast things change, right? We went close to eighteen months without it, and now we've now it's been back for what three straight months at this point, two, three yeah, straight January months at this 15th. point. So it, this will probably be the smallest gap that we have for some time because we're going from because now the films start to get back involved, right? And once the films are are back in play, that'll sort of take up the space between the shows. So this summer we go from Loki, which I'm sure will lead right into Black Widow, which I'm sure will lead right into What If, which will lead right into Shang-Chi and so on and so forth. So while, yeah, this, I don't know what five or six week break is going to be less than ideal. It'll be the show we'll have from some time, especially if you also include the upcoming Star Wars wave as well. Oh, man, we are going to be busy here at the Postgred Pod. Not that I'm complaining whatsoever. It's quite the contrary. But man, we are going to be up to our next blockbuster programming and movies and rumors and all that bullshit. It's good to be back, though, baby. Yeah. Speaking of the movies, this week we got our first Shang-Chi trailer. Eric, you know you and I have been just waiting desperately for this and for Eternals' first look. So it was nice to get the ball rolling there. I see you've got a little breakdown of the major Shang-Chi, Ten Rings, Mandarin items. You want to hit those so our our, our listeners well, can is that is that form? is that fair to say that we've been hyping this one up? Because when I think of the MCU films that I've most looked forward to or or even you know mcu shows when we talk about things like moon knight i've been name checking eternals and thor 4 and doctor strange 2 i can't really really say that shang chi was up there for me but seeing this trailer has totally changed my mind um All right, then fair i went what i didn't know about accidentally what i what i which is how life should be yeah. um what I didn't know about Shang-Chi is that he's pretty much just a normal guy. And you know me, like the Batman fan in me is really likes that. So yep. he's pretty much just a skilled martial artist who was trained by his dad, who in this film is played by... Tony, Tony Luang, though, I think. is I, I, I know I'm butchering the, yeah, the so, pronunciation. So since he was a young kid, he had trained him to just be a killer, like an elite killer. Um, but a change from the comics here is that his father of course trained him is also the mandarin who has been a bad guy in the mcu for a while as i want you to touch on because you had a great tweet but that's a change from the comics because in the comics his father is a character called fu manchu which was problematic for obvious reasons so it's never really been determined how like extensive his fighting skills or powers are but he's beaten numerous superhuman opponents to the point where even Ares, who is a Greek god who we may be getting by way of Russell Crowe confirming that he's playing Zeus and Thor 4, that's opening another new door to another types of beings. Ares is one of them. Point being is he is referred to Shang-Chi as one of the only humans who could sort of go toe-to-toe with superhumans and gods without the use of 
that sort of power on his own side in the past he's trained the likes yeah right he's nice with it aka (laughs) he's nice with it um you know he's trained and sparred with the likes of wolverine and cap and spider-man so he's considered to probably be the best kung fu practicer uh on the planet and that to me is really exciting because it's sort of the inverse of cap whereas like cap was a normal guy who had potential for greatness in him shang chi is like started out with the potential for greatness right he's been great his whole life and is from based on the trailer is sort of denying that yeah he doesn't want he he's the king who didn't want to be king type vibe and combine that with his extremely mortality he's mortal yeah, but very much so, guy. you know, more, so, but like more so than like Iron Man yeah. is mortal. Right. So it's a, di- it's a completely different scale that to me makes him a very exciting character. Yeah. I mean, he's vulnerable every time he is suiting up for lack of a better term, he's actually putting himself in serious danger. And we're not saying Iron Man didn't, but I think it's it's a whole different story when you have a a literal weaponized suit of titanium protecting you, and then you're just a guy. Yeah, you, you know, like like mortal or not, he is equipped with so much armor that he was able to become one of those superpowered like gods. Shang Chi doesn't wear a mask. All he seems to be wearing is a traditional martial arts sort of suit. So yeah, he's got a cool looking gay. That seems to be phase four mo so far right adding elements that the franchise hasn't yet had yeah and that's one of them and one thing i'm excited about is getting more into the mandarin and 10 and the 10 rings and and like you mentioned i did have a tweet about it the 10 rings the organization the criminal organization were was name dropped way back in 2008's iron man it is the start of the mcu and i've really been wanting to know more about you know, what they were doing in the shadows and how they were uh, pulling strings and what kind of conspiracies within the Marvel Cinematic Universe originate with the Ten Rings. And I have a feeling, as you wrote here in in our outline too, Shang-Chi is going to retcon a little bit of some of the known events that we've experienced and to be like, well, actually, you know, Mandarin and Ten Rings were behind that crazy shit and we're going to have our minds blown in a really good way that immediately roots them into the MCU far greater than we're probably expecting or understand at this point yeah and that's the sort of like mind bendy like we've been here the whole time type stuff that i love yes it is i don't want to say retconning is a bad thing but it's generally it can be it's a symptom of that you didn't do it right the first time right (laughs) so that it's a very delicate ballast you got you got to strike with retcons but in a case like this where this organization is known for being in the shadows and pulling strings. This is the type of story where you could pull it off because their whole spiel is like, oh, it's all been a ruse this whole time, you know? So there are elements of this film, both the sort of mortalness of its lead and the fighting style that he employs and the overarching MCU threat that the Ten Rings pose and how that could be worked into both the past and future that makes Shang-Chi I think sort of a bigger deal than people are prepared for like in the same way that Black Panther came in and broke records and got awards something like that with Shang-Chi especially considering the robust Asian market 
we could see something huge here again. It's definitely yet another touchstone for blockbuster representation. It's infusing the MCU with some sorely needed, you know, martial arts fight choreography to really spruce things up. And I, I think between this and Moon Knight and Blade, like we're suddenly going to be championing and supporting the action as opposed to saying, you know, while it is some entertaining CGI mashups, it's kind of distracting us from what the real meat and potatoes that we like is. I think we're at the precipice of a paradigm shift in the kinetic physicality of the MCU. Yeah, for sure. In the trailer, we also see Aquafina's Katie, who is Shang-Chi's best friend. We see Zhai Ling, I apologize if I'm butchering that, uh, Shang-Chi's sister. Razor Fist, who is the bulky white dude at the tournament with the, with the weird, you know, sword hand. And Death Dealer, the dude with the white face paint. So we're going to get some universe expansion characters all up For in sure. there. Light on plot. And it seems like one of those films that is going to take place is going to cover a lot of time ground, right? Like there's that scene where they're fighting side by side with like tigers and shit. That'll yeah, likely yeah. take place thousands of years in the past. I so. hope so. I would love to see that. Yeah. All right, moving on to our quick hitters. Love, Death, and Robots season two trailer came out this week. I really like season one. I like the idea of like the anthology animated I watched sci-fi. It. It's, it's just cool. It's like imagine, you know, there's going to be huge highs and huge lows because every single episode is different animation, different stories different themes it's, it's just cool so i'm excited right. for that uh the flash has begun production ben affleck's batman michael keaton's batman sasha Cali, supergirl all gonna be in it this is the one man this is the one that it's all hinging on oh yeah we've said that a few times right look again we've talked about the flash a few times our expectations are low considering all of the moving parts that they have and the DCEU's past thus far. But my hopes are high because of the talent involved, because of how much I enjoyed The Flash the last time I saw him. You weren't a fan. Hopefully they tone him back a bit, his sort of erratic vibe. But other than that, you know, two Batmans in one film, sign me up. It's like expect, uh, hope for the best, expect the worst. That's how right. I'm feeling. Yeah. Russell Crowe has revealed that he's playing Zeus in Thor Love and Thunder. I didn't even know like the Zeus Greek God existed in Marvel until he said that. And I had to go ask my even nerdier friends like, hey, what's up with that? And I learned that like Mount Olympus is its own dimension in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And they got a whole bunch of crazy shit going on. Yeah, so just like the soon-to-be-introduced Eternals, Zeus belongs to a a race known as the Olympians, which is like this cosmic class, along with the Celestials and the Deviants and Eternals and perhaps one day Galactus. So it sounds like it's more than a cameo role, and potentially Zeus, the Zeus character, could be a link between the cosmicness of the Thor world and Eternals maybe he could even pop up in that film who knows but when you cast Crow in a role like this you know Zeus I mean that's like that's like the original hero you know so hopefully he sticks around in sort of this um, overarching cosmic role who could wield plot shifting power like he shows up shit's different now type vibe I heard a theory that actually counters your your belief but I actually like it you cast Russell Crowe as Zeus because he's a huge name and Zeus is a huge name. 
and then you let then Christian Bell's Gore, the God Killer, kill him, so he can earn his nickname and establish him right from the jump. Like, oh, this dude's serious. True facts. Oh, like, I, I do, do like, like that. that. Listen, if they yeah, want to keep yeah. Russell Crowe around for Zeus, like that sounds cool too. But I could also see Russell Crowe, the guy, being like, "Yeah, that sounds fun. I'll do that for like two, you know, three days." For sure. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. At this stage, he seems like he's sort of in that vibe. Get him nice guys too with Ryan Gosling. Holly yes, Jenner. please, for sure. And then finally, Olivia Coleman in the MCU in Secret Evasions. She is joined by Amelia Clark. Uh, so some crazy casting going on for, for this project. Yeah, this cast is probably the best that we've seen in a show so far. Coleman, I you got to assume, is playing a scroll, right? Like her, she She's has so a perfect. Yeah, she has a very Ben Mendelssohn adjacent prestige to her so seeing them both go toe-to-toe with scrolls would be nice clark she's someone that you could use our expectations about what we know of her against us and like um sort of the reverse of type cast her those are my hopes for her Uh, yeah i hope so too but either way i mean getting those two big names in secret invasion which is like a storyline I'm not 100% thrilled about. Like, it just doesn't really grab me that much. But I'm starting to build my hype because of this cast. Yeah, for sure. And then I was lying. That wasn't the last piece of news. Uh, Spider-Verse 2 has a new trio of directors. Kemp Powers, Joaquin DeSantos, Justin K. Thompson. I was scratching my head as to why you would replace the creative team on such a perfect movie. But I'm here for Kemp Powers' season. He co-directed and co-wrote Soul. He co-wrote One Night in Miami. Uh, I'm I'm all aboard that train. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. All right, you want to move into One World, One People, the season finale of Falcon? Yeah, okay. So this episode basically starts with Sam Wilson putting on the new Captain America suit. You know, he's fitted. Yeah, I don't know how he got into that leather thing without any extra help, but I respect him for doing it. And he flies in New York to save the GRC from the Flag Smashers attack with the help of Bucky Barnes and Sharon Carter. And this involves basically a three-pronged attack where Sam is tracking the GRC hostages in helicopters and the others are attempting to stop them on on the ground. All of a sudden, John Walker shows up to throw his hat in the ring as well. Uh, Eric, to me, the story of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier at its most basic is the story of Sam's emotional journey to accepting the shield and all that was complicated and buried within that decision. And he comes to that decision essentially at the end of last week's episode, which I think is far stronger than this finale, because this one is, in a, in a sense, him just cosplaying as the guy he's decided to be. Is that a fair statement a little bit? Yeah, and this is the problem, and I'll get to this, with, I think, the show's pacing, and that it would have been served much better if it was either longer or shorter. <laughs> this this uh, sixth episode was such a weird middle ground where, like, both of those arguments make sense, longer or shorter. Because, right, like, just like you said, the emotional payoff of him deciding to suit up came last week. Now it was just all sort of like the whipped cream and cherries and all of the <laughs> toppings that that's go well on sad. top of, of the actual Sunday, you know? That's so, well said. And that's sort of my problem with the finale as a whole. It's all very lowest common denominator, low stakes. Very generic and vanilla. Yeah, exactly. The hostage construct, uh, the conversations that are used to further cement 
how the characters are thinking and feeling. You know, while the WandaVision finale may have been underwhelming uh, set piece wise, you know, them just being up up in the sky doing the blasting back and forth vision and vision having a theological rap battle which literally isn't fighting at at all (laughs) despite all that that finale carried emotional stake that bared fruit in those action scenes because you actually cared about the the outcome or at the very least wasn't sure how it was going to end that's absolutely not the case here the stakes have been settled under no circumstances as we said last week right the real villain is john walker and he's been beaten under no circumstances is a faceless group of red shirts going to defeat the good guy so sam flying around bucky saving people walker even redeeming himself a bit which is a big win for you right because you said that you hope that that's the, the the route that he goes down i was happy about that It was all just a reaffirmation of what we already knew last week. Um, And then on top of that, you add in the absurdity of the Sharon Carter plotline, which I didn't think could get worse. And then immediately does. She, She literally just appears when and where the plot needs her to. The only viable excuse for that entire plotline was that if she was using the, oh, poor me, I'm exiled thing is like a cover to hide the fact that she's actually this madriporian gangster which is just absurd to even say to begin with so i mean she literally shows up takes off her mask and goes it's me and then bucky goes what the hell are you doing here i mean i rolled my eyes i physically rolled my eyes i think there's a lot in this episode that is nitpicky and i think there's a lot in this episode that is just flat out ridiculous and i think there's a couple select moments i'm like that was good stuff overall like you said this is a a middle of the road generic finale and as we've been saying this whole time and again this is one of the nitpicks not the true criticisms the episode opens bucky's just walking past you know the police line they're like oh it's it's the winter soldier let's let him in Like, again, this guy's not affiliated with the government. He's not an agent. He's a known murderer. And they're like, yep, let's let him in this conflict. That certainly won't inflame anything. And it just bothers me. But that's the problem, right? Here and there, it'd be one thing, but it stacks up. You add that with my point about Sharon Carter. How about- We're gonna get to Sharon. how, How about when Bucky is tasked with saving those group of suits from that burning truck, one of them literally says to him, Thank you for saving us. Like, all right, we get it. Bucky is redeeming himself. You don't need to stack cliche on top cliche. Trust your audience. Or how about John Walker? Oh, we're all cool now? He's slapping Bucky on the back like they're pals? He he dropped an Abraham Lincoln quote and it was over. All the beef was forgiven. The last time that these two shared the same space, they were an inch away screaming at each other as Bucky and Sam snapped his arm in half. And now they're pals. It is absurd. And and that's why I think the problem is the pacing, right? We went from Walker being what seemed like a rogue psychopath. Go ahead, B. No, I'm saying like he seemed like a rogue psychopath basically the last time we saw him. And now right. he's like, oh, and now okay. he's just strolling in. Bucky, who said to him last week, no, pal, we do want to fucking fight you. 
now they're just buddies. So it, it was it's whiplash. very narrative very, whiplash. And then not just that, but I don't think any of the action blew me away like we had seen in no. episode one or five. I think so it was the weakest only, fight scenes of the whole series. So, actually. Right. So and so I, and and then to put a pin in it because of all that, I think that this was the worst one yet. I think this or, or I can't even remember what my other least favorite one was, but this this was an underwhelming note to end on. Yeah. Now, from this point, and we're going to bring it back to Sharon, she separates Carly from the others, and she confronts her for betraying her because, ha-ha, Sharon Carter is the power broker. Batrock then shows up. He threatens to expose Sharon, but she kills him, and when she turns the gun on Batrock, Carly shoots her in the process. Now, Eric, it is just mind-boggling to me that Sharon had no other plan than to just offer Carly her old job back. That was her master stroke. As the power broker, who is the most important criminal, you know, mysterious name in the Madriporian storyline, I found this just hilariously short-sighted. She's supposed to be this newfound, uh, incredibly deft, intelligent, savage uh, creation in the underworld. And her intellect is so undercooked here. I felt like Beefy from Little Nicky. You chained a Coke into Pepsi. That was your big transformation. Just like so underwhelmed, it is shocking. Yeah, it all just felt very hollow and shallow. And again, I think that's because of the pacing is all fucked up. The plot line, that, that whole Sharon Carter power broker plot line, as I've been saying week in and week out, has felt shoehorned in. And because we don't care about the villains or the lives that they're putting at risk, it undercuts the entire finale. Something like you said to the pacing. In another world, it could work. I could buy into Sharon Carter as a power broker and be like, wow, you know what? This is not only a great reveal, but an interesting storyline going forward. But that world exists where the Falcon and Winter Soldier is maybe eight or nine episodes. And we genuinely have like a whole, like the third episode of the season is just all Sharon. You know, she was exiled. She was on the run. She lived in this dirty, poor life. She's she clawed she her way flipped. up. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a world where I could have gotten it. Here, I'm just like, well, this seems haphazardly thrown together and is just there to be a B and C plot for the, for, because that's how you construct television. Well, it seems like they're going to continue it going forward based yeah, on the post credit scene. In which project, I have no idea, but... Who knows? But Sam, once again, then tries to reason with Carly, even though he's tried to do this every episode and failed every episode, and even though she's taken world leaders hostage and is ready to kill them right now, he's still trying to, like, appeal to her heart because he's an idiot. (laughs) When Carly is about to shoot Sam during their conflict, and they make it very clear, this is not... Uh, vague in any way. She's going to shoot him. Sharon kills her instead. And Sam carries out her body to the, like, the public scene that's going on with the ambulances and the world leaders. And he makes an impassioned speech about the common ground that the powerful and the poverty-stricken now share, thanks to the helplessness that grips the world in the wake of Thanos' snap. And he basically convinces the GRC with his words to postpone the vote and make efforts to help the people Carly died fighting for. And I wrote about this today for Observer for this episode. 
But I don't think the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, ultimately, even though I liked it overall, did a good job of reconciling the realism it brought to racial politics in modern America, which was very cynical and basically conveyed the idea, hey, nothing's unchanged. No one's proved. No one's improved. They do a bad job of balancing that with this rash of hopeful optimism that suddenly sprouts up in the finale that's kind of feels only reserved for like Hollywood storybook endings. And I understand that's what we were always going to get with a Marvel product. I'm not naive in that regard, but I don't agree though, because the ending of WandaVision blew me away in terms of emotional impact. And I'm going to get to this, but I think that this show was a victim of the MCU success so far, even though it's also sort of the first of its kind in terms of it being a, it it was meant to be the first of its kind. It was meant to be the first Disney plus MCU series, but because it wasn't, and because of how floored I was by the emotional payoff of the WandaVision story, I was expecting this series to be able to balance what we both admit is movie quality set pieces as varying in quality as they may be. They're still movie standard, at least. I thought it was going to be able to balance that with legitimate emotional stakes. And while it did at times, I've been a bigger fan of Bucky's arc than you have. The underwhelmingness of the main plot line as opposed to the character's arcs was striking for me. Yeah, and and I agree because I think I liked Sam's monologue, naive and, and hokey as it might be. But I think rather than live in the realism that they created over that first half, rather than stick with a slightly more mature theme and conclusion that like, hey, shit doesn't change, but we're going to still try. They kind of make it feel like this finale was constructed to optimize the easiest way out of almost every interesting question the show asked. And that's the key, right? It feels like it was constructed, right? Like I just said, compare the two finale soapbox hero moment speeches in WandaVision and this. WandaVision, that felt completely and totally earned, right? We gave that show credit for, whoa, these were two side characters that I didn't give a fuck about, that I didn't believe their relationship whatsoever. Now I'm a crying mess. (laughs) That, That felt earned. This speech, like you just said, it felt very contrived, very like, oh, this is what we think a newly crowned cap should say and not what Sam would actually say, if that makes yeah, sense. And, and I have a point later in our awards and categories that I think is like encapsulating everything you're saying right now too. So Sam later then visits with Isaiah Bradley and his grandson. Bradley, despite still having some reservations, admits that Sam is, has carved out his own path and that he could be a genuinely good symbol for this country in a way that, the country has not allowed ever before. And Sam But again, like, right? Like that just, it's such a whiplash. Bradley last week was set in his ways. Sunned, Sam was like, no self-respecting black man would ever pick up that shield. And yes, maybe he was inspired by what Sam did, but to have him 180 that quickly for the sake of a feel-good ending feels I mean, cheap for me. He still did throw out how reluctant he was, though. He still did mention that. I suppose. I think this part actually was a little bit worse. Sam reveals he also convinced the government to create a statue honoring Bradley in the Captain America Museum. 
to me, I, I thought, listen, that is a great gesture. And I understand the importance of being like, no one's ever going to forget what you did. That's important. But Bradley also told him several episodes ago, he doesn't want to be in the public eye. Yeah, he does, he does, he'll, he'll be dead. And that also, he, he doesn't feel like he wants to well, fix America. But so, that's the thing. He's still assumed dead. It doesn't say, oh, this is where he is. He's still out there. You could find true, him That's true, but here. if that's the case, don't bring him to the museum. You know, like that's, now you're just putting him in danger. <laughs> but that's a nitpick because nobody's, because then at that point, if someone was like, hey, you're a giant old black dude. Are you him? That's pretty racist. So yeah, like- listen, I mean, the government can tell who you are from cameras and shit. True, but but true. My, my main point is I have less of a problem with him accepting- uh, what Sam is is becoming as a symbol in terms of what he was saying last week. And I have more of a problem of saying Sam, of Sam assuming he knows best. And this is what Isaiah Bradley might want. And this is what he should do to honor him. When well, let's Bradley not forget though, it's not only honoring Bradley, but those he saved. It's true. There were dozens of men, he said. And I'm assuming that that- I want to see um, that miniseries yeah right i was that's one thing that i really hoped for if we got a flashback of him doing his thing and overall i think this this whole section though this is a show about legacy and identity and it's something that two men wrestled with multiple men wrestled with actually and if we want to include isaiah bradley and that main trio with uh with with um sam with bucky and with walker and essentially one of them Sam was the one to really accept his true legacy and identity moving forward. And yeah, that landed a little too neat and tidy in this episode for sure. But that overarching idea that ran through all six episodes, I could get behind that for sure. Yeah. So en route to the raft, the remaining serum enhanced flag smashers are blown up by Zemo's butler, which I did not see coming. I, I have to admit that was like, who's that old dude? Is that fucking the guy who was feeding Zemo before? <laughs> Yeah, did you need to look that up? Because I was surprised yeah. to see it. Oh, I did. Okay. I okay. did. I, I didn't know at first. And then I was like, wow. I didn't crazy. have a clue. Yeah. I didn't have a clue. And then Val De Fontaine, um, our, our, our girl, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, she gives John Walker a new suit, asks him to become U.S. agent, planting those seeds for future storylines. Bucky makes amends by telling Nakajima that he killed his son when he was the Winter Soldier. And uh, again, if we're zooming out, this show has been the story of two men coming to terms with their identity. But within that, Eric, I think the story of one man accepting why the other made the decision he did, which was the kind of center of the show's internal buddy friction. And, and while it was far from perfect, I think that through line was easy to understand what they were going for. And I think they accomplished it in that regard. You know, I think the Sam and Bucky dynamic was strong throughout. Yeah, that's sort of what I said, right? I think that I was compelled by the character arcs, but not so much the plot of the series. So yeah, the advancement well of the characters, I felt, was whole, but the advancement of the plot was not. Yeah, I think that's really, really well said. I, I think they arrived at a logical conclusion that does feel earned, but did so in the most circuitous, hilarious, I, bumpy way possible. And I think it could be boiled down to that Sam speech, right? Everything that he's saying is legit. And his uh, journey to that moment was earned. But we couldn't have thought of a better way than him standing in the middle of the street in front of the classic cheesy, oh, the TV cameras are here, quick, quick, <laughs> giving a rah-rah speech. Like, wouldn't of it 
been more compelling to see him testify in court for, let's say, John Walker and showing his moral decency there and speaking to those same senators there, you know, something along those lines outside of the the word that I've used a few times now, shoehorned in. As you said, how can we construct this to make this work right here, right now, as opposed to sort of allowing it to happen? And I know that that's hard, right? To, really to, hard. To let, a, a, to, to let a hero moment happen naturally. But if you think about Iron Man or the first cap, they pulled it off then. So there's no reason why they couldn't pull it off now. And just the sort of cherry on top being that speech, I just didn't love. Well, acknowledging that it is hard and you know what, I don't think we would have written a better television show. I think convincing powerful people that they're wrong when they're in a position of power is the most powerful statement you can make. Sam convincing them they're wrong after he's just saved them from a hostage situation is almost a given. If he, if he was in a courtroom setting or something behind closed doors meetings and he rounds them up to his cause with his words then when they are the most comfortable they can be. Wow, that says something to me. And that is what always made him a more worthy cap. Walker saw being the greatest power of cap as the physical flex, right? The physical might to I walk in a room and I'm cap. Sam understands that the power of being cap is the political power that that it wields. And that while he previously didn't want the weight of being cap, he now understands that he could use that weight as leverage to fight for good. Yeah. And that balance is shown here. Now, after this, in the mid credit scene, Sharon is pardoned by the U.S. government, offered to rejoin her division in the CIA. She then makes an ominous phone call, still well within uh, any surveillance equipment that might be going on there. So not a great job uh, there, Sharon. But she makes an ominous phone call basically telling the person on the other end that she now has full access to government secrets and prototype weapons. Eric, I'm going to be honest, like we said, Sharon is power broker. It's something that doesn't really interest me moving forward. And I, I kind of have a, a, a mini comparison. After the huge stakes of Infinity War, I felt like Ant-Man and the Wasp was a very solid palate cleanser with a refreshingly smaller focus. After the big issues tackled in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I feel like we have much more important subplots yet to be explored or tied up than Sharon as power broker. It's just her, her criminal turn is not of any significance, meaning, or representation to me. At least not now. At least not. As of what they've given us, yeah. it sucks. Had they given us more time with her, we would have a better idea of who she is and what she wants. Right now, it just feels like, a, okay, we need her down the road to do Y, so let's yeah. have her do X now. Exactly. And regardless of how that affects the plot, she's got to do it. And like, listen, we always champion the MCU for being the most like intricately plotted franchise out there. It, it's but it doesn't feel that. It does not feel that way here. This one, it seems like we're, we're seeing through the, uh, the movie magic to being like, man, those screenwriters are bending over backwards. Yeah. Yeah. All right, before we move on to our awards and categories, Eric, I got quick questions for you that I've just been stewing on since the finale. You ready? Love it. Love it. All right, number one, where does Bucky go from here? That's Story a great wise. question too. How do you bring him back into the fold into whatever the next adventure is? What are your thoughts here? I think it's tough because he's kind of come full circle. Like the Winter Soldier is behind him. You know, he gave the book to the therapist. He told and that's him why I thought it was weird to not have his name changed too. 
Yeah, I thought it was weird too. It's like, why not? Or, you know, it could just be Bucky Barnes. Like, I, I don't know. Like, what, did he what you not did. go through as much of an arc just because he didn't change suits? That means that he, like, the Winter Soldier is a negative. Very bad moniker. Yeah, so uh, it, it feels like he's not getting as much love for going through as much of a journey. I don't know. And, and part of me thinks like, well, you got to be honest, this is a great time to retire Bucky Barnes, the character. I mean, he, he's come full circle. Like, will Sebastian Stan show up in the MCU again? Absolutely. But would it really be necessary? I, I don't think so. I, I think him starting his life for the first time since the 1940s right now, that's a beautiful conclusion to his arc. Yeah, but that said, like, if they do go a Thunderbolts route, you, you set yourself up for, like, oh, we got to rally the good guys to take down the bad guys. Oh, who's out there? Let's call Bucky type <laughs> thing, you know? So, and I do think that there is going to be a season two of this show at some point. So he will exist as a cameo. I think that this show is his home now, right? Like, he's right. not going to have any major role in a film, but he could pop up here and there. So building on that, how do you see the MCU introducing the Thunderbolts? Like what kind of circumstances is Val like, oh, snap, we need some bad guys to go do some good shit? That's a fucking great question. I wish you had told me these beforehand so I had time to... to, 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 I had time to think on them. Zemo seems to be all too chill to be at the raft, right? He seems very comfy in a max ocean prison. Yeah, so I... I need to see the link between him and Val. That's my best guess, right? I don't know exactly what sort of plot they're going to be on, but I see Z- like I see Zemo being Val's right-hand brain yeah. and Walker being Val's right-hand arm. Like they're sort of going to be the two heads of that snake. That as checks to- out from an anatomy standpoint. <laughs> as to sort of like how they're going to be applied and whether it's their own show or their own film, or if they'll be painted as villains or anti-heroes at this point, I have no clue, but I'm excited for it. That is something that the MCU is needed, right? A bit of edge and that between Moon Knight and Blade and all this shit seems like it's coming. I'm excited too. All right. Last question. We'll move on to our awards and categories. Is Sharon a scroll? I've seen that out there, right? Uh, Yes. Only because I, at this point, the whole thing feels so absurd to me that if they explained it away with some scroll bullshit, that would almost be better. Like, oh, she's been a scroll the whole she's been a scroll the whole time. That's why everything she does makes absolutely no sense. So I say no, but with the understanding that I say no because a scroll who's trying to infiltrate Earth would do everything they can not to bring attention to themselves. And she is acting so nonsensically and putting herself in the crosshairs so deliberately that I can't imagine a superior alien race would be that dumb. Whether or not that's the case, like maybe scrolls are just dumb in this world. I don't know. But I say, I say no for that reason. It's not like they've portrayed them thus far to be this elite intelligent race. I mean, listen, they, they have space travel capabilities and the human race within the MCU doesn't like the normal, regular human race. Okay. Fair enough. Well, that's like, you know, they're more advanced than us. Yeah. All right, awards and categories for the last time for this show, which I am a little bit sad about. Infinity Gauntlet Award for the real MVP. I'm, I'm cheating a little bit. I'm going with the penultimate episode. You know, that is where the show answered or grappled with most of what it set up. It was kind of like Game of Thrones in that, in that way, in that the second to last episode is the good one, and the last one is the kind of 
coda, the, the epilogue. It's like, you know, generic punch him up and tying up loose ends. So I'm going with the last episode, which was much better than this one. All right, one, of, the, one of the best ones. For the first time in a, a while, I've got a few here. Ooh. All right. The charisma of the two leads and the supporting cast like Wyatt Russell and Carl Lumley that make this series far more compelling than the script allowed it to be, right? As I've touched on the arcs of Bucky and Sam, while I don't think that the plot carried much emotional weight, I think their personal arcs did and gave the series the only sense of gravity that it had. Yeah, I bought Um, where they landed. Yeah. The Marvel Machine. Even though I wasn't all that impressed with the finale and found the series to be generally status quo, it's also very good. And I know that's a <laughs> contradictory statement, but that's also a result of the standards it set. It didn't blow me away, but that's because most Marvel stuff blows me away. So it's not clearing its own bar, but it's clearing many other normal industry standard bars, right? Yeah. Bucky's style, as I've been saying all season, this man has got great steez. Who is this dude's tailor? Like, this where is, is how, this, this is from? how I'm trying to dress: simple, muted colors, functional yet fashionable gear. Right? You saw him on a boat, both working and partying, and he was pretty much wearing the same thing. That is what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then finally, and then finally, Carl Lumbly's workout routine slash diet. My man is a brick shit house, yeah. and I and I could only hope to be one fifth of as good of shape as he's in when I'm that age. It's like super soldier, not that dude is looking good for ninety yeah. or whatever the hell he might be. Yeah, well, ninety, I think he's like seventy, Brent. I don't know, I don't know ages. What is time in the pandemic, man? True. <laughs> all right, Thor: The Dark World Award for the worst performance. I have a couple, but they're all just part of the same gush. It's Sharon Carter, it's the Flag Smashers, it's the naive leniency against murderous terrorist organizations, and it is just a jumbled messaging in in general. And like I know that is a lack of specificity there, but I all think they're part of the same ill that plagued the Falcon and Winter Soldier. A, a scattershot focus, a rushed and or elongated plot point, and just a general unmet expectation even though like you said a contradictory statement i still enjoyed falcon and winter soldier i would say marvel's two for two in their disney empire yeah for disney sure plus empire. so my mine is sort of of the same elk as i've said a few times on this pod the pacing all of these problems with the flag smashers and sharon carter could have been fixed by making it longer or shorter. If they made it longer, we would have had more time to understand them and what they want. They made it shorter and cut it out completely. You're telling me a two-hour race against the clock film of Sam and Bucky trying to stop a rogue John Walker wouldn't have been far cooler. That would have been pretty cool now you say So, <laughs> yeah. So, all they had to do was sort of commit to one route. They tried to be both things. And in the end, I think that's what undercut the show. Right. The Jarvis Award for the best performance by anyone except the lead actor, Carl Lumbly. Oh, wait, I have one more. I have one more. Hit me. Uh, Carly Morgenthau's edgelordness. I just got sick of it towards the end, like when when she sees uh, Sam in his capsuit. You of all... (laughs) I'm going to try and do a British voice here, which I'm fucking terrible at. You of all people... (laughs) Yeah, nope, sounds American. All right, fuck it. I'm bailing. You of all people bought into that bullshit. Like, 
she's stating that she knows Sam very well. You know, if he did that, he did it for a damn good reason, right? He's not buying into the bullshit. Like her, you're the one full of bullshit. Uh, yeah, I'm fighting for the greater good. Like I'm fighting for this. I'm fighting for that. I never understood sort of what the fuck the problem was in the first place. Like something to do with countries' borders and people de- being displaced from their homes. All very vague. Yes, yeah, so just her whole vibe. I appreciate the actress. I thought she was pretty good, but the character herself was just fucking annoying. Yeah, and, and I know that they had to reshoot a lot of the Flag Smasher stuff due to the pandemic storyline, but. And maybe uh, that's why. Sh- I hope yeah. I, I hope that that's why. So my Jarvis Award for the best performance by anyone except the lead actor, Carl Lumbly. I think we're pretty much on the same page. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier was at its best with Lumbly and, uh, and Anthony Mackie going toe-to-toe in dialogue-driven scenes in which they basically explore the rotted soul of this nation through the two heroes and their perspectives. And, and I just thought that was top-tier thematic delivery and carl lumbly crushed it yeah i've got him and wyatt russell yeah Wyatt Ru- a difficult role not an easy one and he really kind of hits all the beats that he needs to to be alternately honorable and noble and piece of shit yep and that's why i'm excited to see more of him yeah me too uh the tony stark exposition award aka the star lord who award for shit we need explained to us uh, listen i think all of modern entertainment, not just the Falcon and Winter Soldier, loves to raise questions, point out flaws, and highlight mistakes. But rarely does modern entertainment ever provide any semblance of answers or solutions to those problems. Now, should a movie or a TV show, Eric, be responsible for that part of the equation? Probably not, after, after we consider all things. But Sam convinces these world leaders to table the GRC's relocation plans. I am genuinely curious as to the real world repercussions and solutions that would create. There's no simple answer for life's toughest questions, but perhaps the best entertainment of all manages to raise these issues and point out these flaws in societies while giving us a glimmer of hope in terms of how do we solve it. I don't think the Falcon and Winter Soldier does this. I don't necessarily think, again, it's its responsibility. But if we really want to shoot to like groundbreaking entertainment, that's what we got to aim for. All right. I have, how did a previously blipped, wiped off the face of the earth, exiled from her home, Sharon Carter, become the preeminent Magiporian crime lord? Are you fucking kidding me? This is, this, is the, this is the world's pirate city, and she just rose through the rat. Like, this is, is six months after Endgame. It's just so, it's so absurd, so absurd that the only explanation is something absurd, that she's a scrawl or something. <laughs> the Time Stone That Real quick, quick Award, a.k.a. Rewind That Real Quick. Again, all of the conversations between Sam and Isaiah. It's a centralized theme that the show should have kept front and center for, for the whole time. And as we've discussed, I'd love to see a potential spinoff for young Bradley. And it looks like his grandson may be part of the Young Avengers. So good job just like casting a web of potential plot points. I'm going with Sam's cap reveal. I thought that that was one of the, you know, him busted in and the way that the red and blue lighting was shot. Sam Wilson, the character, and Anthony Mackie, the actor, are both immensely likable and easy to root for. So like seeing him get that moment was dope. 
every time someone called Sam Black Falcon, I just found that extremely funny. I just found that really funny. Uh, and then I thought, Peel sketch. <laughs> what? What oh, one is you, that? You've never seen the Black Falcon Key and Peel sketch? No. I'm gonna oh, send man. it to you right after this. You're gonna be like, "This is great. This is good stuff." Okay, word, word. And then um, the title change at the end, I thought was a really nice touch. That was a real, and I actually hadn't noticed the first time. And then you texted me that, and I went back and rewatched it. I was like, "Oh, you sly motherfuckers!" Yeah, classic. All right, yeah. Put this in Odin's Vault Award, aka put that in the museum. Uh, so this one, I'm, I'm I'm cheating a little bit. It's it's not necessarily what I want to put in the museum. It is what's already in the museum that I kind of want to change. Okay. The MCU has cemented its format beyond any shadow of a doubt. The climax is always going to come down to a more or less traditional, generic, vanilla punch em up between good guys and bad guys. There's going to be a little bit of monologuing, but essentially they're going to use their fists to save the day. So whatever comes before that very middle of the road vanilla conclusion better be damn good if that's what we're going to get every time, no matter what. Here, I think you can make the argument, it was all over the place. So there's a lot of good, there's some bad. It, it doesn't necessarily justify what is an underwhelming generic finale. And moving forward, I think there are ways you can just beef up what comes before if it's going to be relatively like, okay, that was some ho-hum action to, to top it all off. We're both tapping into the sort of MCU beast at this point where I... I... I'm putting the MCU and I'm going to include the Star Wars series on Disney Plus as a whole. I'm putting these in the vault because you could argue these past two MCU series and Mando have been the biggest blockbuster events of the last year. So not only are you getting like the grandness of a Marvel project, but you're also getting the benefit of the stretched out TV format where you get to enjoy it for five, six, seven, eight weeks. And that is, you know, as a fan, a massive, massive win. As I was saying, while I am not necessarily blown away by this show on the MCU scale, on the TV scale, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. So, so in that sense, I <laughs> think- That's a great that, scaling the, like, explanation that you just gave. So uh, in that sense, I think the MCU series on Disney Plus- Regardless of if it turns out to be as good as Guardians 1 or as bad as Thor 2, it'll always be something for fans that's thrilling, right? Like, I didn't fall in love with this show, but I still looked forward to it each week. And that, yeah. you know, you cannot go wrong with that. There's something there's something valuable in there, big time. Yeah. All right, the Cap Lifts the Hammer Award for Best Hero Moment. Sam saying with the conviction the show has been building toward the entire season, I'm Captain America, motherfucker. I know he didn't say that last part, but it just felt right right there. I wish he did. Um, I've got a Sam one as well. Him using his influences cap to get the Isaiah Bradley statue made. I thought that that represents that, you know, he, he gets it, right? He gets what it means to be a hero and how to wield that power for the right things. All right, Eric, what is the worst thing you can say about this episode, my friend? That it was maybe the worst of the season. Um, there were a handful of moments, whether it be plotting or dialogue, that caused me to literally roll my eyes. I mean, I <laughs> rolled my eyes. I didn't quite cringe, but I rolled my eyes heavy. I think the show succeeds more as parts, the set pieces, 
Bucky and Sam's arcs, racial themes, Zemo's general vibe than it does as an, a sum. Yeah. Well it's said. overall, I felt the story was too thin, too disjointed, and too generic. Now, for me, I would say it's a listless conclusion that takes the easy way out of the show's most important questions. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier wanted to show us the harsh reality that is the lack of progress this nation has refused to make in several key areas. But it essentially opts for a happy-go-lucky ending in typical Marvel fashion instead. I found that to be extremely disappointing. And if, <clears throat> and if I have one criticism, one main criticism of the finale, it, it is that it did not reconcile the two halves of its identity whatsoever. So that was tough to swallow. But Eric, what is the nicest thing you can say about this episode? That it's still a massive flex for Marvel, from production value to casting choices to how it builds out further intrigue in the future of the MCU. It is just Marvel chugging along. And I'm all aboard at this point. <laughs> yeah, for me, I would say it accomplished what it set out to do, which was two men have to come to terms with their own identity and the idea of symbolic legacy that may not mean the same thing to every person who comes across it. So I think. They were doing a very good job and succeeded in landing their individual arcs and the themes that emanated from them, not necessarily the plot progression around it or the focus of themes from episode to episode. All right, stuff that we think is cool that needs mentioning. Let's review this quickly. What are the three projects, MCU projects, that this tied into as teased by showrunner Malcolm Spellman? What do you think? I guess Black Panther two kind of but um, it's like i don't see zemo being a plot point in black panther 2 unless he is which okay you've suddenly piqued my interest in, in a way that i wasn't expecting black widow i guess because of val right Assu assuming they didn't edit val out of black widow since that was supposed to premiere before falcon and winter soldier and thunderbolts maybe i mean they, even, even though that's not announced like i don't really know what else I would assume Thunderbolts because I don't think Don Cheadle's one scene pep talk was enough to count for a connection to Armor Wars. Yeah. So what are your three then? I think I'm going to go with the three you chose. I, I mean, I think your theory would have been great. That the power broker was the Mandarin. That would have been a very organic, cool way to, to jump into something that is right around the corner. Now, of course, the timeline got all fucked up by the pandemic. And that might not have just ever been feasible at any point. But that, to me, was the coolest and the most logical. Yeah. Yeah. So and and it makes out. sense, given how close they were to be released. <laughs> Originally, Falcon was supposed to be dropped in August and Shang-Chi in February. So the timeline would have made sense. As we pointed out on the show, there have been no in-universe links to Shang-Chi yet, which is very unlike them. That would have been a great place to do it, but like I, most I guess, things. like we said though at the top, maybe there's going to be some retcons beyond just the original reference in Iron Man 2008. Yeah. I'm like, oh, snap, they were here the whole time. True, true. All right, well, that'll do it for us. That'll do it for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you guys have any lingering questions, theories, thoughts, hit us up on Twitter at PostCredPod. In the meantime, definitely leave us a five-star review on Apple because that'll just help the podcast help us deliver more Marvel nonsense to y'all. And that's just a win-win for everybody. All right, y'all. Talk to you later. Kids. All right, peace. I'm going to make them an offer, Ken.
name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 